us this morning and then pray and then we are going to dive into it and see if the Lord won't work among us through the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen. Uh, verse 19 through 23, chapter 1. You can actually read, I think it's 15. Do we have 15? So you read that whole section, okay. 15 through the end, okay. to give context. Because that is a huge sentence. It's, the, it's one big Greek sentence. Uh-huh. All right. So, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, and you may know what the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Lord, there, there is so much to say um, about you, about Jesus, um, about all you've done and all that you have given to us. Um, we just look forward, Lord, to uh, what you're going to do um, as we continue to walk with you each day. We know that you have plans. We know that you have a purpose, that you have um, chosen us to fulfill that on this earth. And so we ask for you to guide us, to enlighten us, um, to give us wisdom and knowledge and all of the things that you have given to us um, for godliness and for life. So we pray today that you would speak through Jonathan, that your word would, um, that your spirit would use your word in our lives Mm. for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Pam. Jesus is supreme, and the church is meant to show the world. So Jesus is above all things. He is more powerful, above. He commands all things. And the church is meant to show that to everyone around us. The Schrader House, this last week, we saw the completion of a major, long-awaited project, right? And many of you have followed along. We have the best bathroom in downtown Escondido. Finally, right? Everybody's excited. They're like, can I come over and use it? <laughs> but in, even uh, along the way, as we've completed that product, project, there, providentially, the uh, contractor also happened to be bored and waiting for some stuff to come and so finished other projects um, and made like our whole house is done. You know, all those things you wait, they're like, oh, we'll put some trim on that when we sell it in 30 years. Like there's trim on that now, right? So it's all done. So the honeydew list around the house is very short. And I'm like, yes, no more money spent. It's going to be so good, right? <laughs> But the completion of that project and all these other things that has happened, we still have to put a French drain in for our, you know, Derry's very worried about Lake Escondido that's in our driveway. But 
it, having some of these things done has made me reminisce about when we first moved in and that massive renovation we did two years ago. And I know this is going to bring some trauma back for my father who helped us with that. <laughs> you know me as a very gracious, loving pastor, right? But I am a taskmaster when it comes to renovations at the house. So he, he's now back visiting us again. He, he's uh, willing to do that. And uh, we love each other again, so that's good, right? But he was there for this. So when we first got the house and we're renovating it, and some of you guys were around helping lift beams into the house, and, and most of you liked breaking stuff. Um, but one thing that we broke along the way was not intentional, right? It's an old house. It happens to have 50-year-old wiring in it, and... The work was being done in August. It was very hot, unseasonably hot for August, even for us. And we had this portable air conditioning unit that we decided to plug in to cool us down a little bit because we had to have our break time. We had to have some cool respite space to find ourselves in. And we plugged it in and it cooled for a little bit. But that old outlet that we plugged it into happened to be tied to an old wire that was to the the new 200 amp you know box which is great but that line could not handle the power required to power this air conditioner and so it didn't just blow or trip a bla- a break a breaker or blow a fuse right in the box it blew out the whole wire it's so like the whole thing had to be corrected. It could not handle the power that was needed to finish the work. So we updated the connections. We put in some new wires and we're all set for now, we think. We don't, we're still that front half of the house. We don't plug a lot of things into it that need a lot of power. And we have a far better air conditioning situation, right? And I know a guy, if you need some air conditioning or heating stuff, your repairman can help you out. There is a manual sitting there. You get a promo. You come to church, you get a little small business promo. <laughs> That's how we do it, right? But, yeah, you'll pay me later. Right? No, it's okay. But as I was getting nostalgic, thinking about all of this, all this work and how I think my body's finally recovered from the stress of doing all that labor, I couldn't help but see a connection to some of those things of our house in the church in our day, right? Because I think many have a power problem. And I think we're even prone to it. And trying to pull power from old lines or more often missing the power we are meant for and seeking other kinds of power to replace it. Or idolatry working in our minds and hearts even convinces us that our way is better than God's way. What he's declared to us that we should be about. And closing out Ephesians 1, we have, I think, what is a remedy and a presentation of the way that things are supposed to be in the church. And Paul has been praying that the church would be one that has vision, right? That sees the gloriousness of Christ and what it means for those that claim to be his. How life is to look in light of his power for us. So this morning, just from these few verses, I know Pam read the big chunk of them, but from 19 to 23, we see that Jesus is supreme and the church is meant to show the world that truth. So Paul here is praying that we would have knowledge of God given 
by the Spirit. It's not something that we can work up to. We need the Spirit of wisdom to grant it to us along with a vision for the riches of His grace, for how, we, how He sees us, right? That we can value each other the same way He values us and to recognize then His power toward all who believe. And all of it according to the working of His great might. This is what Paul desires for the church in Asia and desires for us by the work of the Spirit inspiring him writing this letter. I think there's two key movements in these few verses for us this morning. It's just first that Christ is supreme and the church shows the world. So we start with Christ is supreme. And the image, I think, for this one is just the the tomb. This is a garden tomb. Some of you have visited in Jerusalem, maybe, um, the garden tomb. But if that was really the tomb that Jesus was in, it is an empty tomb. By his resurrection power, he did not remain in the tomb. And the greatness of God's power worked in Christ in two ways, Paul tells us in this prayer. Through resurrection power and ascension power. Now, the stupendous power that Paul is describing can be glimpsed in the nuances of how he's describing power in the the synonyms he's using in this text. Because first power, the dunamis, is the word that we get dynamite right from and is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. It indicates this raw power or strength. Then it working, that energeia, is from the, that's where we derive the word energy, right? It means in working or inward propulsion of power. And then there's the word great that he uses here, which is kratos, which means the ability to conquer, so it's like an authoritative thing. Caesar would conquer Cleopatra or autocrat comes from that word as well. Then he also uses might, which is ifkus, which refers to physical force here. And so all these graphic synonyms that he's using in this prayer for the church in this bouquet that he's presenting depict the awesome extent of God's power. I think sometimes we think, oh, yeah, well, sure, God's powerful. He created all things. He's over all things. But we don't fully grasp the depth of that reality of his power, that he worked by his great might, and but the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And Paul's told us we need the Spirit to enliven our hearts to see the creative power of God, that no one else, though, can bring life from death. And resurrection power that... De- delivers us, that gives us faith. One of the church fathers, John Christensen, which was like, he's the Archbishop of Constantinople. What's that song? Who's from the 80s? You keep singing. Constantinople, or Istanbul was Constantinople. You go, okay, whatever. I'm on cold medicine. Right, But he says that through his power, we have believed that he's raised Christ. For to persuade souls, it is a thing far more miraculous than to raise a dead body. So the fact that you believe in Jesus is a more significant miracle even than Jesus being raised from the dead. And that's all worked by the power of God for you. And it's power that also sets Jesus above all things, Paul says here. 
And that immediately made me think of the temptation of Christ, right? You remember the story in Luke 4, I want to read it for you. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Like just a snapshot, like here's all these. I'm just going to give you these, this snapshot and says to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I'm so thankful that Jesus said that because he knows, right? He knows where real authority resides. And it's like, you're going to give me this? I'm the creator of the cosmos. And he knows all those, not just that moment in time, but for all time belong to him. And I think it's the exact same temptation that the devil rolls out for us today. He's like, oh, I'll give you earthly power. Why don't I just give you these little nations, right? But instead, Jesus is, it, Paul tells us, he's now where? Seated at the Father's right hand, far above all rule, all authority, all power and dominion. The strongest government, our best movements, our greatest dear leaders are nothing compared to Jesus. Right? And the, the ascension establishes this, right? Paul, elsewhere in 1 Timothy, will recite the early creed of the church. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Not the glory of the nations, but his glory as powerful creator, supreme over all things. And the resurrection power gives us life, gives us newness, gives us freedom from sin because he defeated death on our behalf. But then also the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ does at least five things for us, right? It, it completes the resurrection because the body that Christ took on in Bethlehem and died in and was resurrected in was removed gloriously to heaven in the ascension. And this has wonderful implications for our physicality as well because his body was like ours. A body like ours is at this very moment in heaven. But then he also became the first fruits of his people. For as the first in the harvest, he guarantees the final redemption and exaltation of those that are in union with him. Because he's there and you belong to him. You know you're going to be with him. Then also Jesus ascended to begin his ministry of intercession, of prayer for his people. Right, The worship and prayer of his people is offered through him, the high priest, to God the Father. He's in unity with the Father, praying on our behalf, petitioning the Father for us. And the fourth thing, from this position of the Father's right hand, he is the dispenser of the Holy Spirit. With the Spirit, we are given spiritual gifts for the enrichment and the mission of the church, for the work that he has called us to. And with Jesus' ascension, the real new age began, right? The age of the Spirit experienced by those who are in Christ. And then fifth, most of all, the ascension of our Lord speaks of his, I love this word, super relaxation. Above everything. Because everything is 
at his footstool. Like this is Jesus in a chill moment reclining by the very power of his word, upholding all things in this moment. Like, and that's the posture that we need to see of Jesus. He's not, anybody stressed this week? Anybody got big business decisions at work? You know that you're, your uh, stakeholders at work really have you in their crosshairs. No, I'm just kidding. You guys love me. You pray for me, right? Who laughed? That's good. See? <laughs> They're all like, you laugh. You don't tithe. Um, what was I talking about? So we've been stressed. Yes. Thank you, Uncle Phil. Get me. Okay. But Jesus is like, he's holding it all up. And he's super relaxed in this moment. And like, I need that vision. The one who is super relaxed with all authority, all dominion, everything under his feet. He is so chill. You know what he says to me? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Because he has the type of power that you can rest under. Because he cares for you. He intercedes with the Father for you. This is what the ascension power has worked for us. And he's been given the name that is above every name. R.C. Sproul says, To speak of supremacy is to speak of that which is above or over others. It reaches the level of the super. In our language, it refers to that which or who is the greatest in power, authority, or rank. It also is used to describe that which or who is greatest in importance, significance, character, or achievement. The ultimate in all these areas of consideration jesus ranks as the ultimate or supreme supreme in power rank glory authority importance etc that's an appropriate moment for a heck yeah amen right if vicky was here she would have cursed in the front row for the glory of the lord i miss vicky we're going to move the church to Fallbrook just to get her. <laughs> you know? Not really. Don't get nervous. <laughs> Some of y'all. That'd be good. Yeah, you would. It'd be a short, shorter drive for Temecula, right? But this, the one who is supreme, who is above all things, this is the guy. This is the, the lower, the guy. I'm not trying to diminish his power. But this is the one who pursues us who lives among us, who gives himself for us to create a new family, a kingdom of grace, a garden that is invading the world at this very moment, bringing beauty where there was once ashes in brokenness, where they said, you can count that neighborhood out. He says, I'm taking that neighborhood for my glory. As Paul will write to the Colossian church, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or and drones, or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And somebody said, well, Jesus was just a good dude, a moral teacher. Say, shut your mouth. He made it all. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
This is who we worship. This is who we say we belong to for his glory. A dear friend, I don't know if I've mentioned this before in D.C., but we were talking, you know, they're really worried because I became reformed. And, you know, and, you know what does that mean? And who are you? And what kind of church do you want to be? And I said, I, I'm so thankful for the body of Christ that is very broad and people have different perspectives. But I do not want to hear preaching that tells me something I can do that I don't need Jesus for. Because I need this Jesus. I don't need somebody who just pats me on the back and gets me through a hard day. I need the one who is commanding all things and holding all things together in this very moment. Because when I know that's true, I can get through this hard moment. Because he's taking care of me. His purpose remains. That's not in my notes. But where we are, like... It's like a hobby for some of us. We want to diminish Christ. We want to make Jesus less than Lord or less than the creator of the cosmos. We just want to make him a moral teacher or we want to co-opt him to serve our local cause, right? Scripture and the history of the church, though, declares that he is above all things, that he is reigning at this very moment. And that carries us through. John Piper says, if you don't embrace a Christ that is big enough and clear enough, you will be a sitting duck for Christ-diminishing, Christ-distorting philosophy, empty deceit, and human tradition. If you don't embrace a Christ that is big enough and clear enough, you easily mistake shadows for reality. If you don't embrace a Christ that is big enough and clear enough, you will stop holding fast to Christ as the great all-supplying head of the body and take up sectarian strategies of self-improvement. It's true. We need the Spirit's help, but still we endeavor to see the supremacy of Christ at every turn in Scripture. We know Jesus Christ is our God. Jesus Christ is before all things. Jesus Christ created all that is not God. Jesus holds everything together, and he created everything to display the supremacy and glory of himself. And that's not egomania, it is love, because the apex of that glory is the glory of his grace toward us. It's the glory of Christ supplying everything his church needs to be holy and happy forever. It's the glory of triumphing over death and bringing in millions of believing sinners to everlasting life with him. And it's the glory of establishing a new heaven and a new earth of peace and reconciliation by the blood of his cross. I'm, I was about to dance. I'm telling you, I was meant to pastor a black Pentecostal church. Come on, Jackie, help me. But the power exercised and realized, right? And this is how he works his power. You want to get a beeline on how power works when you have it all? He gave up his life. He poured out his blood. He took the lower place for us. And the one with which we have communion has determined to expose this power, his supremacy, through the church. Because we are the fullness of Christ. I think we've got a picture of some worshiping people. That's a church. It's not a YouTube concert. I'm pretty confident, right? 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. The Father did this. It's his plan. We can't even fathom the depth of reality, of love, of sacrifice that goes with this statement. What does it mean for us as a unity of people to be the fullness of Christ? Like our words don't match that truth that is declared. But I do know that if you were to take the head off of a body, what would happen? It dies. Even the best science fiction is lying to you, right? And we are his body. You cannot separate us as the body from Christ. Because if you do, it will die. We will die. And where modern folk are inclined to essentially just say, I'm not a church person. You know, I want to reject the church. I don't... And, you know, church is made up of humans that are sinful. There is some nasty stuff that has happened in the name of the authority of the church. It's disgusting. And many of us, we have church refugees. We call some of us in this. have been in very difficult spaces um, and toxic leadership and other things, right? But we could take that reality and just cast it off as useless. Or at best, we'll just say, you know, it's, it's not worth much in our culture in the day. And at worst, we say it's harmful, right? Where churches themselves choose to sever, sever themselves from the head or the lordship of Christ or from his supremacy, right? There is death that comes. A crowd may remain for a season, but there's no real power there where myriad believers take the devil's temptation of worldly nations and, oh, pursue this power. This is what you need. Jesus is not, the one who reigns over all things is not waiting for us to get rid of all of his enemies because he's already put them all under his footstool. And because that's all true, we can't lose heart. We have experienced his power in salvation, in the sealing work of the Holy Spirit, in empowering us and giving us purpose for his glory and our good. So we go on remaining tied to the head and to no one else. Because we were dead and now in our new life, we stay connected to the head and reveal his power to the world. Power that brings very diverse people together. When the world says, well, you shouldn't really hang out, right? Like the only place, the diversity of faces in here, right, for most of the world, the only place they see Asians with white folks and black folks is like on a Target ad, right? No, this is the kingdom of Christ. And you were not models that were paid to be together. You were brought together by the resurrection and ascension power of Jesus for his glory, Jesus lives obedient to the law in our place, proclaiming the kingdom, healing, restoring, delivering, all of that to show the church what God is like. Right? 
how loving he is, how great he is. And then he does all of his ministry. He does only what the Father tells him to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. Check that. Sets aside his divinity so he could reveal what the church is supposed to look like. Empowered by the Spirit. What the power of Christ looks like in us then is a lot like how his power laid out, looked like for us, right? It's in humility, in compassion, in sacrifice, in grace towards those that are far from God. It's laboring for the blessing of the least, for those that are scandalized, the unwanted, taking up our cross and following him because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And oh, do we want you to taste and see. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. His body is incomplete without us. The necessary thing, his inheritance in the saints, realized as his family, his kingdom unfolding. Making my friends nervous, quoting John Calvin. You ready for this? It's the highest honor of the church that unless he is united to us, the son of God reckons himself in some measure imperfect. And what an encouragement it is for us to hear that not until he has us as one with himself is he complete in all his parts or does he wish to be regarded as whole. That's big. And the anatomy of God's for us power is remarkable, right? One scholar writes that first we are told that the one who is for us is at the right hand of God. The position of the highest privilege is given to Christ for all ages after his resurrection and ascension. And then next, as Jesus is in his honored position, God places all things under his feet and gives him authority over all. And then finally, we are told that the purpose of Christ's dominion is for the church, his body, which not only reflects him, but is ultimately him filling all in all. So together as the body, we hold each other up. We serve our neighbors. And dare I say, we wash some feet. Loving our enemies as Jesus loved us. Because he first loved us, we then go and live. Pouring out his power. So we give of ourselves. So we hold fast. We continue in the faith by looking to Jesus and we show him to the world until they see. Again in Colossians, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And Ephesians goes on and tells us how Christ sustains the church, the work he does, right? He is the head. We've seen this today. Next, maybe not next week, in verse 20 of chapter 2, we'll see he's the cornerstone. Then we'll see that he's the savior and sanctifier of the church. He gives the church workers to do the ministry. He loved and sacrificed himself for the church, Paul will remind us in chapter 5. He nourishes and cherishes the church. And he manifests his manifold wisdom through the church. 
And it's in him that we dwell and grow, that the kingdom goes forth, that more of our hearts are surrendered for his glory. And this is the church that the gates of hell can't prevail against. Maybe you've heard this story before, but just before World War II, the little town of Itasca, Texas, suffered a school fire that took the lives of 263 children. Can you imagine? That'd be, my, that'd be all of Miller Elementary. And there was scarcely a family in the town that was not touched by that horrifying tragedy, as you, you can imagine. And during the war, Estasca remained without school facilities. But when the war ended, the town, like many others in North America, began to expand. And in fact, they built a new school that featured what they announced was the finest sprinkler system in the world. And civic pride ran high. Honor students were selected to guide citizens and visitors on tours of the new facility to show them the finest, most advanced sprinkler system that technology could supply and money could buy. Because they weren't going to experience that same devastation that they had before. And never again would they be visited by such a tragedy. But with the post-war boom, the town continued to grow. And then seven years after they built that school with the great sprinkler system, it was necessary to enlarge the school. And in adding a new wing, it was discovered during the construction that the sprinkler system had never actually been connected to the water supply. And what an incredible story that is. The folly strains our belief that here you're so proud of this thing, but it has no water. Yet alas, I think it's a parable of what happens in so many churches. There is untold power available, but so many never hook up to it. Their lives are impotent and shamefully useless. But that's not what the church is called to. The church is called to reveal this power of Christ to the world. So Reservoir Church, may we stay connected. May we, by the Spirit, have knowledge of him, vision of his grace, his love, and power toward us. Because as we run our eyes back up this text, we begin to understand why Paul prayed that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we might glimpse the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, the power that brought about Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, his exaltation, displaying his lordship over all things. And seeing that reality, we must understand that because we are his body, because he loves us so much that he considers himself incomplete without us, that power is operable on our behalf right now. Oh, you're just a small church, Pastor. You only have one staff member. You have, you're moving. You know, that's hard. You're going to have to set up again. You only got 70 people when they all show up and aren't sick. Have you heard of the power of Christ toward us that believe? Because there's only one thing necessary that Paul's praying for, and that's belief. The question for us is, are we hooked up? And if not, we can be hooked up by saying in our heart, I see the power for us who believe it is resurrection and ascension and sovereign power over all things. And I believe it is for me because I am in his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Jesus is supreme and the church is meant to show the world. So friends, see the supremacy of Christ at every turn. Don't surrender to lesser names. Believe in Jesus alone. And then see the church as vital. The rest of this letter is indicating to us how the church is to live in light of these truths that Paul is declaring. And we are, we're meant for each other. And we're meant to then together give the world a glimpse of the power of Christ at work in us. He says we can handle the fullness of his power. May it light up the night. And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's power that carries us, that keeps us brings him glory as his kingdom goes forth. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we are, many of us, individual recipients of your power, your resurrection power, and the gift of salvation, of faith in you. But we see in your word today that that power is meant for the church to experience together, not only or merely as individuals, but as a family reclaimed, reshaped into your kingdom going forward. Bringing your grace to those that are far from you. Lord, first, by your spirit, help us to recognize how you have come after us, that you desire relationship with us that all that is required is belief. And for all of us, give us a vision of the vitality of the church, of being tapped into your power as you call us to mission and we pursue your glory in our city. That the world would see that you are supreme. In Jesus' name, amen.